is Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland podcast. I have today a little bit of a different guest, but someone who's going to fill in some insights from some past episodes that we've had. His name is Mark Ratz, and he's the managing director at SEI, which is a consulting company for those of you who aren't familiar with it. And they do amazing work um, in helping companies be more, can I say, operationally effective? Absolutely. There we go. All right. So Mark, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk to you. Thank you, Shandy. It's nice to be with you. Yeah, likewise. So you have had a super interesting career, like a quick glance at your LinkedIn profile. You have been a little bit all over the place, building up all sorts of expertise from many different industries. Tell me about it. Yeah, definitely diverse and dynamic background, uh, master of a lot. Uh, or excuse me, uh, jack of all trades, master of none, right? Is, is what they say. Yep. Um, so, you know, I, I like to say that my career was a journey in service. Um, you know, I started off my career in service to my country uh, as a, a as an officer in the Marine Corps uh, and spent about nine years Thank doing you for that. that. Absolutely, it was an honor. Uh, and then the rest of my career was a journey in service to others and, and trying to help people. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've been with uh, large managed service companies like Aramark Corporation, was the director of leadership development for a company, for that company. Uh, I've, I've worked in uh, helping to build and start uh, a, a retreat and conference center. And, and, and uh, I have uh, been in operations management uh, in the defense industry. And and now I'm in a, a, a position where I get to work with consultants, uh, helping to solve problems for business. Yeah, um, so fun, yeah. right? Getting yeah, to absolutely. dig into all sorts of different companies and you know try to help them be all they can be. Yeah, absolutely. SEI, we're a, a, a business and technology management consulting firm, and uh, we've got about 11 offices and and about 400 over 400 consultants in 11 offices around the country and. I like to boil it down for folks to say that we hire seasoned leaders that solve problems for business. And, you know, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, our clients aren't really sure what their problems are, but they need help in in working through that. And, um, you know, the three main areas that we help our clients are transformational leadership, technology enablement, and data solutions. And, um, you know, we have a lot of experts that have, have, you know, seasoned careers of 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 getting in there and and helping clients to define the problem, come up with solutions, implement plans, and get stuff done. There you go. We've had um, you know most of my guests are somewhere within the restaurant, entertainment, hospitality, tourism types of industries, and we've had quite a few executives say something along the lines of, "When you're not good at something, recognize that and either hire for it or outsource it." Right. Especially in the, I think in the smaller companies, um, particularly in restaurants, right. You want to start a restaurant, maybe marketing's not your thing, outsource marketing. You know, you don't know how to solve the technology problems, outsource that. That way you can run a restaurant. Yeah. Um, and so I thought it'd be really interesting to talk to you. You're literally the outsource guy. And I don't mean that in like a, yeah. you know, offshore kind of way. Right. But like in a skill set kind of way. So what is that like to be kind of on the other side helping fill in gaps for companies who don't necessarily know how to do the things that they're hiring you for. Yeah. Well, you and I your team, was, I should say, anytime I'm using you there, that's a, that's a group. <laughs> sure. Well, I, I think you just really defined it uh, in a, in a great way. And, and I think it's um, helping people 
Well, firstly, people have to have the humility and the self-awareness of understanding, you know, what they're good at and what they're not. Um, but also the awareness of understanding, you know, what what are the obstacles that are are barriers to their success, not only as individuals, but in, in their organization, in their team. What what's what are the barriers for for them to achieve their goals today? And have the humility to say, you know what, I'm probably not the right person to solve that problem and I need some help. Um, how that, 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 that's a how huge often do they write about the problem that they actually need help with versus do you come in and say, okay, you're right, you need help, but it's not over there, it's over here. A, a lot, uh, you know, usually they're in the ballpark, right? They, they understand the symptoms, but not the root of the problem. Or uh, the solution. Exactly, and, and so usually it's, it's one, helping to understand, you know, what are the symptoms that are affecting the business? Are we not achieving our numbers? Or we have an attrition problem or are our systems, you know, uh, not well integrated and we have, you know, a disjointed data and a lot of manual workarounds or things of that nature. And, and you know, helping them to understand, one, the symptoms, but then working backwards and understanding, you know, where, where, what the causes are. And, 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 and then ultimately, once you understand the cause and you understand what could and should be happening, trying to figure out what the right solutions are. A lot of times our clients will bring us in and, and they think they've already got the solution figured out and they just want us to do the heavy lifting of implementing it. And sometimes we have to walk them back because yeah. they may have been sold, sold the next shiny object or have it in their mind that this is the right solution. And then we start asking them, well, what, what is the actual business problem that you were trying to solve for? That's right. What is this, what is this new system actually solving for? And then, you know, how did you arrive at that conclusion that that was the right solution? And that's where, you know, that, that's where we start to really uncover and, and do some realization that's valuable to folks. How often do you feel like you have to come in and kind of call the proverbial baby ugly in a place that they didn't recognize that they had an issue? Uh, uh, well, I think it's always a big uncomfortable point yeah, in conversation for us, there's right? An <laughs> there, there's an art to that and, and helping clients to, um, you know, realize that, uh, well, firstly, no client is perfect, no. right? And, and everybody's got problems. They just have them in different scales and in different areas and, uh, no team is perfect. Um, and so, you know, certainly uh, recognizing the, the value, the opportunity that, uh, you know, and, and the strengths and weaknesses within an organization is important. But as a consultant, you have to be able to come in and ask good questions to help people come to that realization on their own, right? Because certainly you coming in and telling people that this is a problem, they're doing it wrong, well, that's not received well. No one likes to receive feedback that way, right? But by asking really thoughtful questions and in an inquisitive manner, and then you know helping them to draw their own conclusions, that's the art. Uh, because usually when they draw their own conclusion, it's not offensive, right? It's it, it's really a self-realization. And then not only that self-realization of what the problems may be, but then also the self-realization of what the solutions are. Because if you can help them walk through that and figure out what the solutions are uh, on their own, now it's their idea. And it's, it's their idea and they want to champion it. And, and, and that brings with it a whole uh, you know, beauty and, and power of empowerment. And, and, and you know, they're, they're just driven to want to do it for themselves. And you're just an enabler. 
Um, being an enabler is always a lot easier than um, being, you know, uh, the, 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 the director and or, you know, someone who's trying to, you know, herd cats and push people to do something that they really don't want to do anyway, or they really Even don't though think they're paying you to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, no, so maybe you're, you're even answering my next question, um, which is how do you become an, I'm, I'm not going to use your word, a member of the team, as opposed to someone who is like begging and pleading them to do the things it was someone who's trying to herd the cats, even though they're paying you to do it. Sometimes they're like, I'm not going to respond to your email. I'm yeah. not going to answer the phone when you call me. Well, I, I, if I'm not, I think Shandy that the, uh, the, the trick is, well, it's not even a trick. It, it's, it's the care factor. If, if, if you can show people that you care and you care about the outcomes as much as they do and that you, uh, your commitment and in your sense of ownership for that problem and, and the commitment to the solution, um, if you can demonstrate those things, then, um, People will look to you uh, not only as an integrated part of the team, um, but they will start to trust you, and they will start not only as you as as that trust builds. Obviously, trust builds through credibility. Uh, it, it it builds through consistency. It builds through demonstrating results. Um, but then that just that general care factor, if that comes through in your work and um, your commitment then I think people start to trust you and look to you as an advisor. And then you're, you're all of a sudden an integrated part of their team. And that's just quite honestly what we do within SEI. We're an employee-owned organization. So our consultants have skin in the game, not only with the success of our brand, success of their business, but that translates to our customers because the success of their projects is a testament to the success of our brand and ultimately their success as individuals. So that care factor, that commitment that we bring to our engagements is completely different than what I think people find in, in um, other consulting organizations, but also sometimes in their own employees. You know, as an FTE, right, you, you, you can sometimes, you know, skate by, right? And, and, but as a consultant, we have to come to work every day to deliver something of value in order to get invited back the next day. Truth. And that brings a lot of pressure, but that, you know, also requires a lot of commitment and dedication to ensuring the successful outcomes of what we do for our clients. Yeah, for sure. Now you've worked across quite a few industries, including obviously, you know, food service. And um, I, I was mentioning earlier, I, I don't have a good word for kind of the overarching, like entertainment, tourism, hospitality, food service. <laughs> Mm -hmm. sure. I need to come up with some acronym there that I can just invent and, and talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the those industries or those sub industries really kind of work a little bit differently than, um, you know, your more traditional telecom or financial services or something like that. Tell me a little bit about how you see them going differently than, you know, some of the others, the different kind of issues that they run into. Well, obviously, there's you know a difference in the customer. There's a, a difference in the expectation of the experience. Um, you know, there's somewhat of a difference in how they market to their customer. There's a difference in how they serve and what they serve. Certainly, I've I've worked in in the hospitality industry uh, a, a little bit in my career, and then on the lodging side, on the food service side, on the managed service side. So, 
Uh, I think what it all boils down to uh, and what is consistent across all of them, it's probably easier to talk about what's consistent across all of them is um, two things. Um, one, um, it's the human factors. It's about the people, right? One, it's the success of a business. I think where, where we sometimes fall short is realizing that people are our assets. And two, those people deliver the experience to our customers that that is really the 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 uh, determinant of success in in our business, right? If those customers aren't having a successful experience, well, they're not going to want to come back and they're not going to want to tell others, right? So we've got to realize that the people that deliver that experience are our employees, are our teammates, are our colleagues, and um, and I think you know, the world is changing in regards to, to that and how we treat people, how we um, find talent, how we keep talent. It's probably one of the biggest challenges in all of those industries that you just talked about. Yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting to hear you put it in those terms. The product that some of the other industries I mentioned are selling isn't people per se, but in these industries that, you know, we service generically under like tourism and hospitality, the product is really the people. They're the ones creating the experience. They're the ones creating the food on the fly right. every single day, right? Without, you know, you don't have a machine to make a widget. That's right. That's exactly right. And and you look across all those industries now, it's especially uh, with COVID, right? Probably one of the biggest challenges that, that, uh, that your audience faces is one, finding people, getting them to work, keeping them working and, uh, you know, um, finding good people is, yeah. is, is people that you can trust to, to manage that experience and deliver that experience. It's a huge challenge now. Yeah. I, I had a great episode with Emily Williams Knight, who's the president of the restaurant association in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked a lot about exactly this and it's kind of a more macro issue, right? People not being able to find childcare and having to, you know, the statistics are crazy. Like only one in five childcare spots, maybe I'm wrong. Don't come at me if I'm wrong, but you know, something like that. One in five childcare spots are even available now. So somebody has got to not get arrested for neglecting their kids. Right. There's lots of reasons that it's more difficult right now to find people. Um, and I think not the least of which is that when they all kind of got unjobbed, they found That's other right. jobs too. That's right. It's not that people aren't working. They just found right. other ways to work and, and, and make money or they changed their lifestyle and realized that they didn't need to work as much as they did. And, and, you know, were, were changed, changed their means. Um, yeah. uh, you know, and I think again, there's been an evolution in, in the, the people management business. And, and that's quite honestly, I, I feel like I've made my career 27 years. I've, I've, really only ever been a, a people and a person manager, right? And, yeah. and, and um, you know, I think it's changed. You know, gone are the days of command and control, right? Uh, people don't want to be told what to do anymore. They, they want to be empowered, valued. right? And, yeah. and valued, right? And, you know, what's important to people now are things like, it's beyond compensation, right? Culture is really important to people. Um, you know, uh, in culture, people want to be, um, valued, like you said, they want to be appreciated. Uh, they need to feel safe, and you know, it's safe in, in in many different dimensions about not only the security of their job, but 
the people that they work with, the safety of being vulnerable and being honest. And, um, you know, I think that's that's having to change how we lead and how we manage people. And, and you know, I think people so often get hung up on, oh, it's about compensation. Certainly compensation is important, right? But managers and leaders can, um, can provide uh, opportunities for the employees that are beyond compensation. Like you just, you talked about childcare, or maybe it's a flexibility, uh, flexible schedule, flexibility in work, but maybe it's other things like you care about developing them. You show a, you show a genuine and sincere interest in, in their growth. Um, you, you demonstrate trust in them, right? You, you give them increasing responsibilities. You recognize them for the good work that they do and, and you show empathy, right? Whereas, you know, man, I remember, you know, when, when first starting my career, none of those things really existed in the paradigm of how to lead and manage people. Uh, but if you're not doing those things today. Well, and I suspect, especially in like the hospitality food service area. Where we used to think of people more as a commodity, mm-hmm. right? I hate to say it, but it's the truth. Uh, and most of the people that I knew that that grew up in hospitality and running, running restaurants, they think of people as a com- commodity. We got to shift our thinking. People are our assets. And just like our portfolios, right? We have to nourish our assets, invest in our assets, protect our assets. That's, that, you know, that's the key in, in my mind. Yeah, so interesting. And so you spent, you spent some time at one of the managed service companies doing leadership development, which you kind of uh, told us in the overview career-wise. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts from a leadership development perspective, kind of playing off of this, People are no longer a commodity, but, you know, more the product that a company is selling. Where do you fall on hiring within versus, you know, promoting up from below or hiring people in from the outside? And how do you make sure, like, kind of what's your super overarching tips on helping people be developed to be able to move up in a company? That was probably the least articulate way I could have possibly asked that question. (laughs) That's okay. I'll give you (laughs) An equally likely not articulate answer. Save me, Mark. Save me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a great question, Shandy. I think uh, it really depends. My my sense is that the more you can offer opportunities for growth and advancement within your own organization and show that those opportunities exist, the more loyalty you're going to get from your employees and and or from your team and they're going to want to be with you and stay with you and help your organization to grow because they're going to grow with it and their opportunities uh, for advancement. Nobody wants to be in the same place for the rest of their career. Um, So in order for those opportunities to grow, their organization has to grow and they have to help scale it to a point where there may be another layer of management or a different opportunity for them to move into a completely different field, maybe from operations into marketing or from marketing into technology or whatever it may be. In order for those opportunities to be there, there's got to be growth, um, and the people are enablers of that growth. Um, so that takes a, a, one an investment of time for for our leaders, and they have to be willing to one um, invest in developing people, not only in experiences, job experiences, career experiences in their work, maybe even sending them to get a different certification or. Um, you know, something that would give them more of a credential uh, or or, skill set that they may not already have. The other thing that leaders have to realize is we got to be willing to let people fail. Right. And and that's not an easy thing. 
right? It means that we've got, it means that they're not, they're, they're, they are um, not always going to do it the way we would do it. Oh my gosh. So true. If we, can, if, we, if we can be clear in giving them, you know, what are the successful outcomes or what are the criteria for success? What does success look like? And then here's, you know, you go figure out how you're going to achieve that, but this is what I need you to do. Give them opportunities to do those kinds of things, but be willing to let them fail. And it's kind of like parenting that way, you know, <laughs> that's a really good, yeah, like really you, good you going through that made me think of, this is going to be the most ridiculous analogy, I guess, but made me think of my son's algebra homework the other day. Yeah. So I'm checking his homework just to, you know, cause parenting and I'm walking through his steps and I'm going, this is not, oh, the answer's right. Yeah. Well, oh, you just thought about it differently than yeah, me yeah. and I have to. Yeah, well, kudos <laughs> to you for still being able to check your child's algebra homework because I think I I I stopped giving <laughs> value to my kids with their homework right around fifth sixth grade. But um, so, what did you use your degree in math for, Shandy? I used it to check my kids' homework. <laughs> there you go. All right, there you go. Good. Yeah. You know, I think it's a matter of um, what I was just saying about being willing to give people opportunities to fail and grow as a leader too, and as a manager. We've also got to realize where we can't afford those things. Right. And where um, I need someone day one that doesn't have to learn in this area, the void that I have in whatever marketing and HR or whatever cannot afford for a learning curve um, because I have to solve this problem or close this gap now in which I may or, or may not have that person internally and I have to go outside. So I think that's really where we've got to ask ourselves internal, external back to your question is the the external factors are when you can't afford for learning and and or you can't afford for what may be uh more failure or as you you know as you scale right at some point you need an hr person the idea but before that you didn't the idea that you can teach somebody internally to do that is probably not right but exactly but you know from an upward mobility perspective I, i i agree with you i think that the um, loyalty factor is much larger if people have opportunities. Absolutely. So on this whole com- compare and contrast, right? Internal, external for hiring and leadership. What about buy versus build from a technology perspective? Cause you guys do a lot within technology mm-hmm. and so many big corporations try to reinvent the wheel. When is that a good idea? And when not so much? That's a really great question. Um, you know, it really depends on what what it is they're trying to solve for and how unique the problem is. Certainly, the more unique it is, the the more customized it has to be, and we may need to develop uh, their solution and help them develop that whatever IP it is that that that's that's needed. More times than not, people think that their problems are unique when they are not. <laughs> okay, and and yes. they think that and they think that their solutions need to be customized when they don't, and there are you know and and usually that's just a a, a a lack of information, right? A lack of awareness around what alternatives are out there and what um, you know what what can be done to implement sort of what we call custom off the shelf off the shelf COTS based products or um, or excuse me, commercial off the shelf, or um, you know, just implementing things out of the box, right? Kind of thing without a whole lot of customization. Because when we're talking from a systems perspective, 
the more customization you have to an out-of-the-box solution, the more complicated it becomes. Because, And I don't need, mean to get too technical, but nowadays, uh, technical solutions need to be patched. They need to be updated. They need to be integrated with your other enterprise systems. And they need to be sustained and maintained in, 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 in order for them to do what well, they need to do. And, and the further and, off of the out-of-the-box path you have gone, exactly, the more difficult that task is. Exactly. And that whereas just gets kind of exponentially worse over time. That's right. So whereas if, if I can implement something generally as it is configured out of the box, certainly these solutions offer a tremendous amount of what I'll call custom configuration not necessarily custom development. So we right. can configure it to do what you need and su support your process flows. But the more you try to customize it, well, now every time it gets patched, updated, or upgraded, um, that customization that you built has to be done as well. So that's additional costs into your to your maintenance budgets. And so the more you can keep it out of the box, the better it is for the maintenance, the sustainment, and the, the total cost of ownership for that solution. Well, and people always think, I can build that. And it always is more complicated. Like it never costs less. I won't say never, right? But, oh, I can build this. It's going to take me four weeks. It's going to cost me a dollar. And I would have to spend $2 to, to get yours. But then there's ends up costing $5. Well, and, and you know, to that point, stop thinking about the short-term cost, think about the long-term cost, mm -hmm. total cost of ownership, right? So if I'm custom building this solution, and again, I need to make my make sure my solution is functionally effective, secure, and, you know, um, evolving with my business, right? So so scalable. And, and so if I'm custom developing something, well, the next time the, the uh, security threat you know, X comes out and then Y and then Z and it's daily that those things come out. True. Who am I paying to patch my custom solution that I built? And oh, the next time I realize- And what happens that if that person leaves? That's right. And then the next time I need feature X now needs to be feature Y. I need, you know, now my customers want, you know, to be able to do near field recognition with their credit card payments and, and no longer just chip and pin or whatever it may be. Well, those things evolved very quickly in, in, in the past five to 10 years. So that new feature, that new enhanced capability, well, now I've got to build in that custom module so that my solution can do that. Well, you're going to pay to do that. You're going to pay to do that on your own. That's a tremendous amount of overhead. Whereas companies like, a, you know, a, a NCR that, or whatever it is that's managing your point of sale, they're already integrating those things. They want to be the best at what they do. They want to enhance their own products. They're looking at that new innovations as well as the security patches and various other things. They're maintaining those things on a day-to-day -day basis. And they're going to push them down to you on a monthly, you know, quarterly, annually basis so that you'll get those benefits. They're likely going to charge you a little bit for it too, but it's sure, much but lower than the cost that you would have to pay to have companies like ours customize it. Yeah. It distributes the cost across all of their customer base, right? So yeah, no, it's, it's always super interesting. And it's so interesting that you point out that people always think that their situation is so much more unique than it really probably is. That's right. And it's across all industries, right? Just another you version know. of calling the baby ugly, right? That's right. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, I mean, and we find it like- <laughs> Sorry, you ain't special. 
That's right. You find in every functional area, in every industry, it's the same thing, right? Well, yep. we need to implement a CRM or customer relationship management tool. And, and our customers are different. Our customers are special. Our process flow for, you know, whatever is, is completely different. Well, no, it's not. <laughs> not really, right? And, and, and the more you try to simplify it, actually, simplification can be an enhancement to your business. In, in, in many ways, especially when you talk about a systems perspective, yeah. HR, same thing. You know, it's like HR is HR across all industries. <laughs> you know, we may pay people differently and call their jobs something different, maybe certain different legality nuances, but, but HR, HR, HR is pretty consistent, right? Mm-hmm. And, and um, so I think that's to your point, it's about helping people to realize when they need to make a change, let's do it smartly. Right. And, and helping them realize that may or may not be as unique as you think. Yeah. And I don't know whether this is right or wrong, but the way that we approach systems that we use and systems that we build is to kind of do the simple, stupid first. Right. So out of the box first, use it. I'm not customizing anything right. until you've put it through like a real world example a whole pro- do a whole project on this project management system before I ask for a single customized field. Yeah, absolutely. And then tell me what you were missing. And, right? And People try know, to customize before they use and they're not right. Yeah. I think it's really important too, Shandy, for folks to realize that what's more important too is picking the right box. And, and, and what I mean by that is let's start back and do a reasonable amount of diligence, reasonable amount of analysis to determine what, what is the business problem we're trying to solve for first. Two, how best to solve for that problem. It may not be a change. It may just be a tweak to an existing process or a system. Three, if we do decide that we need to implement a new system or a new process, let's make sure that we really do the diligence and the analysis around the requirements. What are we doing today? What do we need to be doing tomorrow to make this improvement? And what are the gaps? And then let's make sure that we implement the right initiatives to close those gaps. Um, And so when I say it's important to make sure that we're picking the right box, if we're going to choose an out-of-the-box solution, there are a ton of alternatives out there in the market today. No matter what function or area you're looking at in what industry, there's somebody that has created a solution for you. I can almost assure it. Um, You just have to make sure that you're picking the right alternative that best meets your requirements and best meets your needs. And that you've done that level of analysis to make sure that once you go through the the pains of implementing this new solution, it actually solved the problem. And and I think that process of the requirements analysis, the solution analysis, and is where most people fail. Yeah. Um, And most organizations fail. I can't tell you how many times we get brought in to um, clean up a mess because someone got sold something that they can't what was the solution to their problem? They failed to do the analysis to truly understand the, the problem and what their needs were before selecting a product. And we got to come in and rip and replace. And that's painful and it's more expensive. It's so it's just better to, most people want to skip the analysis up front because of cost. Um, but they, you know, they, they, they don't realize that the, the collateral damage of putting in the wrong solution can be even more costly. Yeah, I, I, couldn't agree with you more. And I feel like people don't really understand how they're going to use something. Right. So for example, you know, we use a CRM system, right. And honestly, we use it right out of the box. 
the desire from the team was to, you know, well, we need this level. Okay, well, let's use this level and then, you know, use it for a couple of months. Tell me what's super painful. Right. We can go to that one. That's cool. Right. No big deal. We can customize things. No need. Yeah. Well, but I love what you just suggested and that maybe you just start off with it out of the box mm-hmm. and, you know, configure to the best of its ability. And, and maybe it's different from what you, you can always to. tweak stuff, right? But, like, but maybe, you know, maybe your process can just be easily modified a little bit and, and um, accommodate, you know, it. so anyway. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's always really interesting. So you've worked with a whole lot of different companies. What's your kind of favorite customer success story? You don't have to name them if you don't want to, but you know, what's the one that kind of warms your heart about what it is that you do? Oh, wow. Uh, that's a tough question. Um, I can't let you off too easy. <laughs> Favorite customer success story. Well, I'm going to, I was one of my first clients when I, when I joined SCI, when I was consulting, um, had, was in the hospitality and food service industry and had just uh, gone through a data compromise. And roughly 90 stores uh, had gotten credit card data that was was stolen. And so, so many companies have gone through that. Yeah, and 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 uh, ultimately they they lost uh, their PCI certification. They oh. lost uh, their insurance. Uh, they lost. Um, they were being fined by the credit card partners on a on a monthly basis, exorbitant amounts of money. Um, and it was basically you know, shutting down their business and their ability to transact credit cards, which in the food service industry, when you're talking about a large, um, you know, uh, food service operation, that's essential over, over 400 restaurants. Right. And then, then they're having to use the knuckle dragger, you know, type concepts to actually transact <laughs> credit cards. It, it was, it was horrible. And so, you know, uh, uh, over the course of, um, you know, roughly six months, we were able to completely replace the point of sale, implement secure credit card processing um, capabilities, uh, basically implement security best practices uh, for for the, the chain, and then ultimately get them PCI certified and sort of stop the bleeding, if you would. And, um, you know, I think that was uh, really satisfying because, um, you know, we were brought in at a point of crisis. And, you know, I gotta be honest with you, Shandy. Um, I was not an information security expert. I was not a point of sale expert. I was not a credit card expert. Um, but crisis but I, management. That's I've always kind of done that pretty well, right? Is is being bar- brought in when people mm-hmm. really need help and helping to you know um, provide clarity and ambiguity, helping to provide calm. And you know assurances, optimism, solutions, and then moving people forward. And and um, we were really successful as a team in helping that uh, company get through what was a a, a huge crisis. Yeah. And um, uh, we were successful. And and so I look back on that as a as a fulfilling experience. And and I got to meet and work with some of the. So many of them are great friends of mine today and and uh you know we still keep in touch and and um it and i think that's the other element of it in that people factor right is that the bonds between people the friendships between two between people are sometimes really forged when you go through hardship true together 
right? And and think about it. I mean, some of the experiences where you're starting up a business, starting up a restaurant, or you're implementing a new concept, or, you know, it, it's the chaos that you go mm-hmm. through together of failing and relying on each other and communicating with each other that kind of gets you through those things. And it makes you stronger in the end. Yep. No doubt on that note. And I love that by the way, uh, team building from, you know, made from crisis, uh, how can people connect with you and SEI online? Uh, SEI.com, www.sei.com, um, is our website. Uh, again, we have 11 offices around the country and, um, uh, certainly people can uh, reach out to me directly. My email address is m-r-e-t-z at sei.com. Uh, and um, always happy to talk with people, you know, um, share information, be a sounding board for folks. And if at the end of the day they need help with business, well, that's good too. But, um, you know, just would love people to know that we're a resource for them. Perfect. So then uh, you know, and so do all the listeners that we wrap all the episodes up with two truths and a lie. So mm-hmm. you'll give us three facts about yourself, one of which is, you know, maybe not a fact and don't tell us the answer. And listeners, if you want to know which one is the lie, come talk to us on your favorite social media platform uh, or reach out any other way that makes you happy. Sounds good. So uh, two truths and one lie, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Or not. I mean, you can switch it up and trick us if you like. <laughs> Let's see. We'll go with two truths and a lie. And the first one, I, I grew up riding horses on a ranch in Virginia and um, uh, sort of grew up in that farm life on a horse farm. Uh, the second, uh, I was forced to take ballet as, as a child. And, and um, uh, I played football. I was a wrestler and I was also a gymnast. Uh, and and uh, was forced um, by various coaches to take ballet so that I could learn to be more graceful uh, and less of a um, clumsy, uh, cumbersome athlete. Graceful, um, balanced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Body awareness. And third, right. And the third is uh, I love cooking. I love you know smoking meat, smoking meats, and grilling and um, and baking with my family. Very good. That's my three. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, Mark Retz, you have been fabulous to talk to. Listeners, as always, thanks for sticking around. This has been the Shandyland podcast, and we'll talk to you soon.